everybody welcome to the 239th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in southern oregon just spent the uh the mother's day holiday with my mom um and got my first dose of vaccine so spent the first few days in uh medford feeling real real weird but uh it's uh time to talk about basketball and i found out that i'm eligible for the pack in top shot tomorrow because i own a lot of rares <laughs> top shot is a scam and don't ever fall for it no enjoy it have fun with it it's all about having fun peace love and unity and having fun that's a krs one quote anyway we are here to talk about the portland trailblazers and it was a pretty solid week again for our blazers they wrapped up their road trip five and one. Unfortunately, it wasn't a clean sweep. Lost at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks on Monday, 114 to 123. Uh, a game that was not as close as that score mm. indicated. Portland's uh, third stringers came in and made it a little close for comfort for the Hawks who left their starters uh, on, on the floor to end that one. But Portland rebounded dominated the Cleveland Cavaliers just based off of an insane third quarter run ended up winning by 36 141 to 105 five of their six wins on that road trip all by double digits incredible performance on the road to come together at the right time and they continued that momentum home with fans in attendance they beat the heated Lakers 106 101 on Friday and then bounced back on the second night of a back-to-back on Saturday taking care of business and securing the tiebreaker over the Spurs 124 to 102, a game that saw Portland uh, come out of the gates pretty slow down 09 to the Spurs, but they rallied back, kept it close got two key tiebreakers over the Lakers and the Spurs. And now sit currently in that sixth position out West 39 and 29 on the season they are within shouting distance of the Mavericks, but have the Lakers hot on their tails as well. So, Sage, it is going to be a photo finish as we have four games to wrap up the regular season. And your guess is as good as mine as to where our Blazers will land and to who their first round opponent will be. So there is a lot of drama over the next seven days. Absolutely. And... uh but you you could see teams resting their starters. You can see them fighting for playoff spots. It's going to be so hard to project what each team does. So a lot of drama, but uh, it should be a fun, fun competitive ba- uh, set of basketball games because there's some games we really need to get. Um, but the thing that impressed me the most about that Spurs game was Damian Lillard didn't play in the fourth quarter. I think that's huge to just have CJ and Norm handle most of the scoring load in that fourth quarter was huge. And then Yusuf's third quarter, there was a lot of great moments in that game, but the best was definitely Dame chilling on the bench, resting up for this end run. The 
this is the time where we have to kick and kick like we haven't done before. No starter also played uh, more than 30, 31 minutes against the Cavaliers as well. So you're looking at a team that finished off a road trip in style, got some mm-hmm. rest to end the road trip. You really go all out to, you know, defeat the Lakers and what was a hotly contested battle between two teams desperate for that tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then you said it, Dame did the damage that he needed to do in that third quarter against the Spurs and rested the fourth. He had a stretch where he hit three consecutive threes in that third quarter. And I thought that really put the game away. I think that's where I want to kick off this episode with is to talk about the play of our MVP. It feels like Damian Lillard is back into MVP form. If you look at his last four games, we always talk about the 50, 40, 90 club, you know, 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90 from the foul line. Dame is at 50 50 90 territory over these last four. He has four straight 30 plus point performances, five out of the last six. And if you look at his averages over these last four games, just absolutely sensational. 33.3 points per game. He's doing that on 94% shooting from the foul line, uh, eight attempts per night there. 54% from, from three in 39 attempts. So you're looking at what nine, 10 attempts per game from downtown. So volume three point shooting 57.8% from the field, which we haven't seen that number eclipse 50 in a long time for Lillard. He's usually a little inefficient doing damage from the three and the foul line, but he is making his two point shots, attacking the rack. He's also finding out, finding time to hand out eight assists, grab three and a half boards, uh, one and a half steals per game, only committing a little over two turnovers a game. And the best part, his minutes under 34 at 33.8. So these last four games have been absolutely brilliant basketball from our leader, our MVP. And really, if we are to make a run, Dame's got to play at this level because we we know he can do it. I believe it was last week we talked about health. It It was pretty obvious that Dame was struggling to get to that fifth gear on drives. And now he's hitting that fifth gear easily, breaking people off quick first step to the lane layups. So to see him play healthy and then so efficiently, because when we were losing those games, it was because, I mean, a big reason was there was some inefficient scoring. And now it, in this in this week, it's been very efficient. He's he's been playing really really good ball, and I, I think his teammates, especially Yusuf Nurkic, has stepped up, made a lot of passes a lot easier for him to get those assists, to get the lack of turnovers. I've, I've been really digging that pick and roll between Dame and Yusuf because it tears teams up, especially the Spurs. That was just cake every time. It was pick and roll. Either Dame would take the shot, or Yusuf would just roll and either get fouled or score two points. So the offense was looking real good. One thing that make, made me really happy, and it might have been because of Melo's injury, but four rotations of Robert Covington against that Lakers game, was that made me so happy to see Rob get that fourth rotation because those guys need to play t- together as much as possible. And I, I know it might have been the ankle but just to see those five players on the court was beautiful. 
Yeah, the reason the pick and roll is finally successful is because Yusuf Nurkic is starting to finish around the rim. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to put all this effort into Dame drawing the defense, making a perfect pocket pass, and then only to have Nurk blow the layup. We can get we can get other looks. You know, we have a we have a lot of offensive firepower and, and diversity on this roster. So the key has always been can Nurk finish like a true big man is supposed to finish, you know, and his canter is kind of the gold standard. You give it to him and anything he throws up is going in around that rim. That's one of his strongest suits. If Nurkic can continue to finish like this, and you look at his last three games, specifically six of 10 for against Cleveland, five of eight against the Lakers and eight of 15 against the Spurs, all double digit scoring performances. Uh, he also grabs 11 boards against Cleveland, 13 against Lakers and nine against the Spurs. And then we start to see those assist numbers come up too, five, five, and three uh, over the week. And it all starts to slowly come together for Nurk. And I think it starts, it's oddly enough for Nurk, it starts on the offensive end of the floor because we already know what he gives us defensively. We know what he gives us as a facilitator. But now when the defense has to really honor him on the roll, that opens up the floor for so many more opportunities for, for the rest of for the rest of the unit. And it makes Portland that much more difficult to game plan for because now if you try to take Dame out, we can counter that. If you try to take Nurk out, we have counters for that. Like the, the beauty with this finishing five, the starting five as well, is that no one is a liability on the offensive end of the floor when Nurkic is finishing. And I would say Nurk finishing is probably the weakest link of everyone on that, that starting unit. But when he finishes around the rim, especially with force and finesse, damn near impossible to, to stop on that end of the floor. It, it, and the way that he's playing with the aggression, like I, I think it started with maybe the, the Memphis game, he just started blaming it on people. That level of aggression attacking the rim. We've seen Yusuf try and do a lot of finesse around the basket, and it isn't always the most efficient. But now he's playing with a level of aggression, especially in the post, where it's like, get the get out of my way, or you're going on a top shot moment, or you're going on a poster for trying to bring it back to 2000. Like he's been playing with a le- level of aggression that we haven't seen since Nurk fever. And I think we saw the downfall of this Blazer roster, this Blazer team, excuse me, this week, when we forget about Yusuf Nurkic. Yes, you can say the Atlanta game was the second night of a back-to-back. Yes, they were awakened at at 10 a.m. local time for a tornado warning. Those are all excuses. Teams go through that all season long. Everyone is playing the same compressed schedule. Aside from Portland's poor perimeter defense, which which we will touch on later on in this episode, my biggest gripe was we had won four consecutive games doing things the right way, and that's using Nurk as a focal point of this offense. Sage, when I watched that Atlanta game, we did not involve Nurk at all. He only had four four points and two assists. I mean, that's not going to get it done. His he rarely. Uh, had his fingerprints on that offense. There was a lot of isolation, a lot of hero ball, you know, try to match shot for shot with the Hawks who were just unconscious Mm. from downtown. 
yes, Atlanta's defense is much improved under the leadership and strategy of Nate McMillan, but that team still doesn't, I wouldn't say has a lot of strong individual defenders. And, And I thought had we been a little bit more patient as we were prior and as we saw later on in the week, we could have carved them up a little bit and A, slowed the game down, B, got them in foul trouble, or C, been more efficient uh, on the offensive end because some of the shots we were taking wasn't sustainable. Yeah, they could go one or two times in a row, but if you're going to keep going to that well, it's going to dry up pretty pretty quick. So I thought that was a lesson that unfortunately had to be learned uh, again for this team. Like you, that, that's us. That's us always, man. It is, but it, but if these four games make... of, of use of just being awesome, kind of been the outliers. For the for this core of the team, and it, it can't be though because if we want the Blazers to go to the dance and, and stay for more than one dance, we got to bring Nurk along with us. We got to we got to recognize his talent and ability. And if if we do that, the sky is really the limit. And if we don't, we're going to be talking about the offseason podcast here in a couple of weeks. Mm. It's it's strange that it boils down to like that's one of the biggest keys for the Blazers it's 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 Dame playing at MVP level and it's Nurk doing Nurk things and the the team realizing that he's out there like those are the two key areas the Blazers must be on the same page they must be locked in if I mean if we're talking postseason or even during the the playoffs if those are happening we're talking we're having happy podcasts we're talking about W's if they're not we can say why can't this team just realize and figure it out. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that Hawks game to me, when I watched it, was kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? It kind of, it, it triggered me to other times the Blazers fucked up. Like, we were going way too ISO heavy and, and going back to the bad habits that, you know, we we talked about that were probably going to happen, you know? If we gave up so much damn perimeter pressure that like our offense can be high variance at times with how we play the game. It just happens to be that way. But when you let interior pressure happen against you, it puts so much more pressure on that offense to score. And we happen to be highly iso ball heavy that game. So we had to be perfect to win that game, and we damn sure were perfect against Atlanta. No, and what I wanted to discuss with you, Sage, was the defense is improved. There's, Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, we are now allowing 114.3 points per game. That's 21st to 22nd in, in the league, much better than, than where we were prior. Uh, my question to you, was is that a product of our internal improvement, getting Nurkic back in the fold, or is it a, a product of our competition? Um, because the Ooh. Hawks have what I would say is playoff caliber basketball. They had about every player on that that on the court could beat you in, in, in a way on offense. Maybe defensively not, but offensively they are a tough team to guard. They put you in the pick and roll. They have mm. shooters galore. And what I saw is I'll pick on Carmelo here, for example, because I know everyone wanted to talk about him moving up past uh, Elvin Hayes into the top 10, which is uh, 
an incredible accolade for points all time. And for all of the four point plays and, and ones he was getting, he was cheating way too hard on the, on the interior for a post up or a double, or he was just out of position. And he was kind of the, uh, the guy they were picking on like Bogdan Bogdanovich had, had a field day. And oh, so yeah, he had so, one of his best days ever. Essentially. And then in the second half, it was Gallinari. And I'm not saying it was exclusively Carmelo Anthony, but he was one of the players that, that I primarily saw was, was the culprit of not playing heads up defense, not realizing, Hey, these guys are just incredibly on fire. I can't really even let them catch the ball, let alone give them a couple of, you know, inches of space. So defensively internal development, product of our schedule in our competition what do you think it is you know if you asked me that question before your explanation of that atlanta game i would have said that it was a lot of you i would have given a lot of the credit to use of nurkic and norman powell but when i think about who we played with like indiana with no bigs and a coaching just disaster on their hands yeah i mean there there have been some teams that have gone through some shit in this in those last few weeks that we played i would i i think that there has to be some credit to yusuf and norman for the improvement on defense but thinking back at who we played and the inefficiencies of their offense it might not be as uh as extreme of an improvement as i thought but you have to give some credit to yusuf and norm i i would give most of it to yusuf just like He's replacing someone who is very has has his defensive limitations, so I I think it, it it's a it, it's a mix of both. I don't know the percentages now since since we have played some teams with dramatic flaws in their offense. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the right answer. I think you have to give credit to both. Um, the one team that we played that I so we've won three straight games, seven of seven of eight of those eight opponents. I Who thought were the those Boston, eight? Yeah. I thought the Boston game was, was telling, I know they didn't have Kemba Walker, but anytime you're going up against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that that's a tough team to defend, but we still gave up 119 to the Celtics. Um, I thought we did a pretty dang good job on the Lakers. Um, Their really spacing great. is atrocious because AD and dream uh, not dream on Andre. So, you know, with, with a team construction like that, you got to have J.J. Redick in his prime and Steph Curry to make that shit work. But- I thought probably our, our best game was the Memphis Grizzlies in their building on the second night of a back-to-back after we allowed them to score 128 and 120. We hold them to 109. And it, again, those were a lot of garbage time points. Like we put them on the ground quickly and did not, you know, give them any hope that they were going to get back into that game. Like we punched first, they did not punch back. So I thought that was probably the best game, but you know, you, you can look down the line and say, okay, there's Indiana. They were without Sabonis and Turner and they are having, you know, and Goga, the, the, the tallest dude was six, eight. They're having just major chemistry problems. The coach is probably going to get fired at the end of the season. Uh, you look at the Brooklyn Nets, no James Harden, no uh, Kevin Durant. You look at the Atlanta Hawks, they were healthy and they put up 123 on us. The Cavaliers of the Cavaliers, the Lakers didn't have LeBron, uh, the Spurs, no, yep, no, uh, no Aldridge and no Derek White. But again, you held them to 102, uh, played them much better than we had all, all season. So 
I don't think you can say it's only the schedule because at the end of the day, you're an NBA team. You, you play the hand that you're dealt and you're playing the teams that you were dealt in terms of who's injured and who's not. You can't just play. It's not 2K. You can't turn injuries off and say, OK, you have to play these teams at full strength and everyone has, has zero fatigue. That That's not how this league works. So you have to give Portland credit. Of those eight games, they won seven of them. And mm-hmm. you take that no matter who the opponent is, especially when you see crazy results, you know, left and right all, all across all across the league this entire season. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think you can be so naive as to say, oh no, we've found it out. We have, you know, we've we've unlocked the, the secret formula and, and we're ready to go. No, I mean the, Malcolm Brogdon and Karis Levert, if we're going back to the Indiana game, that first half, they were buzzing. They were putting up points in bunches. It's when Dame took the challenge of guarding Malcolm Brogdon on that island that shit shit worked out for us. So even when teams are at a humongous loss in talent and size, there were there was a half where Malcolm Brogdon, I had him in some DFS lines. Oh, I thought I was going to make some real money. Like Dame had to stop him for that team to finally you know, succumb to how lack of talent they had. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that. It, it's it's always going to be that mixture of both. It's never 100% one thing in life, is it? Like, you mentioned Norman Powell and his impact on the defensive end, but I want to talk about his offensive impact. I think he just gives the Blazers uh, a different dimension mm-hmm. that, I don't know. I can't remember the last player that we've had who was able to put the ball on the floor. Bonzi Wells is probably the last blazer that I can remember that was built like him that preferred to put his ball, the ball on the floor and use his body to draw contact and finish around, around the rim. Um, Did Bonzi drive it at the rate that Norman does though? Oh, Bonzi. I mean, you go back to that Western Conference Finals. Bonzi was a menace off of the bounce. I mean, he just gave the Lakers fits. Um, Norman does a lot of the things that Bonzi did, and Bonzi was a huge reason why we were so successful that year, especially in the postseason. Um, I I loved what Norman did in that second half against the Spurs. San Antonio decided to throw a wrinkle and they put a zone in, uh, in that second half and Norman Powell got the ball and just consistently went to the basket and yeah. beat them up. He either got uh, points in the paint or he just drew a ton of fouls on the Spurs. That's something we didn't have with Gary Trent jr. Hmm. GT loved to catch and shoot. GT drove two times a game. If and we're lucky, loved launching from beyond the arc, which is that's his game, That that's fine. That's why we made this move to go with get Norman Powell more of a seasoned veteran. And I think what Portland maybe lacks in terms of size on, on that, that three guard lineup, Powell's ability to put the ball on the floor, put the pressure on the defense. That's going to be so critical in half court playoff basketball. And he has the strength to finish too, which is huge. The game slows down and you're going to need Norman to make something happen. you know, if we look at, forecasting and saying the Clippers are, are our next opponent in the playoffs. You look at that, that first game that Norman played against the Clippers. It was in Los Angeles. He had over 30 points, got to the line 15 times. He, he can be that type of X factor for us 
And so I just thought that was just such a bright spot and something if you're looking for hope in the postseason, regardless of who Portland draws, you can look at Norman Powell's ability to put the ball on the floor. Like Mm -hmm. not a lot of guards do that. People love just shooting from the perimeter. Not many guards can A, either post up or put the ball and get some contact and get to the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I didn't realize, and I assume a lot of people didn't realize is how strong Norman Powell is. Like he, he embraces contact. Having a guy that embraces and can take on contact and finish through it is in, in playoff ball is going to be huge. It's like, you can't ignore somebody driving directly at the hoop. If you're on defense, you can't ignore someone putting direct pressure on the hoop. You, you can, we, we bitched a lot about the lack of bending the defense this year. Norman Powell bends that defense every time he drives to the hoop because he, teams know he can finish. He won a chip. He was part of a championship team. People know that he can finish through contact, and that's going to be huge for us. I've, I'm, I've worried about what people would say about Norman because he's missed some threes, but what he does offensively with the drives, like he can miss some – open shots and still contribute. I don't think Gary Trent is at that level yet where if the shot's not falling, he can contribute in other facets of the game. Norman, yo, know, if his shot's not falling, he'll drive it more. He'll find he'll find a way to get more space to launch. What he does offensively adds a lot and his basketball IQ is extremely important because he finds a way to make the pass to him easier a lot of our players don't do that like i would say everybody outside of norm just stands there and hopes to get the ball norm will move his body and make that pass a lot easier so we've talked about dame we just talked about norm kind of the the third musketeer or whatever you want to call up that three guard lineup is CJ McCollum and he can be absolutely explosive. We've seen him, you know, burst for 33 points, you know, shot 60% against the Celtics and really carried us when we needed us to, to get that, that victory. But we've also seen him, he put up, you know, didn't matter this game, but he put up 10 points on three of 14 shooting against the Cavaliers. Uh, He had a 10 point performance on 12 shots against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, His Laker performance was not anything to write home about. 21 points on 19 shots. CJ is not the player he was pre-injury. I I don't know if it's the lack of practice time or whatever it is. He's he's not at that level that he was, even though he's played more games after the injury than, than to start the season. My question to you, Sage, is... Can we get just a little bit more of a consistent CJ McCollum? Because he's getting open looks. He's creating the space. He's just not hitting that shot. With four games left to go, with four games left to go, do you think he's going to be able to, you know, kind of get, get the kinks out and start to get into a rhythm like the other, you know, his his kind of, you know, counterparts are, are starting to, to do? I think it's... It- I don't know if it will be consistent, but I think that there will be games where he's the most explosive player on the court. And then there will be other games where Dame or Nurk or 
Norman has the has more of the usage. I think that he he CJ is always going to be the biggest uh sacrifice of noose of Nurkic playing and being more involved. I think that when Nurk has those high usage games, it directly affects CJ. So yeah, I think there will be games where he's that dude, that second option. And I think there will be games where he's the fourth option. But one thing about CJ is there's plays where he does something that only like Kyrie and James Harden, those elite creators can do. There's also plays where he does some thing that has you scratching your head like why, but there are going to be plays and parts of games where he just does some amazing stuff to help us win games. But I don't know if he'll he'll be consistent. Do you remember when we were talking about Carmelo Anthony uh, probably a month or two ago? And, you know, it was the debate, like, is Melo helping or hurting the team? And I think we both sided on the fact that he was helping us, especially when you look at the production based upon the cost. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when you take that same approach with CJ, I think you have to almost look at the other end of the spectrum and say, can you really have your second highest paid player at $30 million a year be this inefficient and inconsistent? I would argue no. And these last four games and, and these, these playoffs, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on it and, you know, talk too much about the off season because I want to live in the moment. But I, I do think there is a lot riding on these next, this next month for CJ McCollum as a trailblazer. Um, if CJ was making what, what Norm is making, you know, 10, $15 million, you'd be, you'd be over the moon. Over you know, it, the it, moon. It's, it's, it's the, the contract puts that expectations on players. Like let's use Rondé Hollis Jefferson as an example. He's getting paid nothing in terms of the NBA. So you, your expectations are low. You think that he's as, a zero at something and when he's a five or a six it's like we found cash but with cj just dug in the in the couch cushions right here and and found a 20 even a five a a one (laughs) you know what yeah you're right you're right that's that's found that was my bad i'm putting too much expectations on the result of ronda hollis jefferson so yo we we found we found a dollar in the couch drawer, uh, in the couch cushion, we didn't think we had. That's Ronda Hollis Jefferson. So when people say that he's producing so much, it's because he has the expectation of literally nothing. CJ McCollum, on the other hand, is getting paid so much, and player people have these expectations of him, like he's going to be the next. So when he produces at a six, and you're expecting that nine, it's a huge bummer. So. For me right now, what I'm doing with CJ is I I acknowledge that he's struggling, but I kind of think of it as golf. So when he does a good play versus a bad play, I try and calculate that out. And if he has more positives than negatives, that's a good CJ McCollum day for me. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's just that expectation versus salary. And it's also the expectations that we've seen him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely be the best player on the floor at times and with with Damian on the, on that same court 
We've seen it's someone good on the other side too. We've seen CJ carry this franchise in the postseason in a game seven on the road in one of the toughest atmospheres, the altitude of Denver, the mile high city. He absolutely closed out that series offensively and defensively. We've seen him damn near average 30 points per game to start this season on volume three point shooting at over 40%. From that, from downtown. So it, it it's not like Blazer fans have these, you know, irrational visions of grandeur that that CJ is this all NBA all star player when he has never performed like that. No, he has performed like that. We just don't see it enough based upon what he is making. So, you know, we've talked about. Nurkic and Dame, how we need those two. Those are our X factors. Mm-hmm. But just like Norm getting to the line and giving us that diversification in offense, CJ being able to be efficient and also explosive when we need him to. Maybe Dame's having a rough night. Maybe Dame's in foul trouble. Maybe CJ's got the hot hand. CJ just giving us, CJ is like that the icing on the cake, the cherry on top of the sundae. You need that for it just to be the perfect dessert. We have to be the perfect dessert to get out of the first round. We are going to be an underdog. We're going to start on the road. Everything's got to go according to plan. And I think CJ, especially with his clutch shot-making ability down the stretch in isolation situations, which playoff basketball is a lot of the time, we're going to need it. So... I'm really looking for these next four games to see CJ start to get into a consistent rhythm. I really haven't minded the shots he's been getting, but they're just not dropping. And I, I hope there's enough time for, for him too. There, there will be a few days off uh, to get some practice time. And especially if we stay at six, you get a damn near week off until you yeah, play. Yeah, that rest and relaxation might be huge for him. Because has he, has he had an off? You know, Dame's had three or four games where he's, uh, you know, recuperated. CJ hasn't had that luxury, has he? No, but he still should be relatively fresh. I mean, he had like 40 games. Two, yeah. yeah. He missed two months of the season, so he, he should be relatively fresh. But yes. One thing able- that I want to check, and I think I have time to do this. So I really want to see where how CJ's ceiling games affected Yusuf and how Yusuf's ceiling games affected Nerf. I haven't used how Yusuf's ceiling games affected CJ because I think there's a correlation to that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and uh, check to make sure if that's that's real because I, I, I all three of our stars have a good game at the same time. It's damn near impossible for two of them. So I wonder how many times all three of them produce at that high level that we're expecting for the playoffs, but. uh I, I have faith that CJ will step it up. I mean, there's there's sometimes where he dribbles too much, but when he's when he is aggressive with what he wants to do, no one can stop him. It's just when he dribbles for east west for too long, it becomes predictable and our offense sputters. But when he's aggressive and does what he needs to do. We have a potential three-headed monster in the guards. I would say there is a lot of similarities between the productivity between Carmelo Anthony and CJ McCollum. Uh, 
the less time they spend making a decision or dribbling the basketball and whether it's just a catch and shoot. Oh, if it's instant, it's, it's it, so instant much move, you know, maybe a one dribble, get the guy off his balance and you, and you raise up. There's so much better than, okay, I'm going to either dribble the ball into oblivion or I'm going to try and back my man down from you know 25 feet out. Like those rarely end up netting us positive uh, outcomes. And so when they the, do, they feel empowered to do it a whole lot more. It's like that. It's like that streaky shooter on the opposition that hits their first couple shots, and then they think, you know, the the rim looks like the ocean, and they they throw the, up the rational confidence shit. You don't want that at, at a certain point. Yeah, I, I, I when when Melo makes that quick decision or CJ makes that quick decision, our offense looks so much better. And see, I mean, CJ can dribble because he's really talented at it, but he needs to go north south eventually. He can't go east-west. It's like a great running back. You know, they say quit quit dancing in the in the hole. Hit it and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like get your four yards. Because sometimes good get blocking Get your four happens. yards and, instead of trying to – maybe you get 20, but maybe you lose eight. Like that's – Don't Reggie Bush it is what you're trying you know, to say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you are so happy to – Oh, a bad example of a USC running back? I'll take it. (laughs) Well, before we go into uh, preview this week's slate of games, and before we answer the fan questions, you know, we are really getting into, you know, this is photo finish time. Every team basically has about four games Mm -hmm. left to go. And there's a couple questions I want to ask you. It's, It's not... It's not just who do we want to play, but who's maybe the most likely uh, scenario. So let's talk about our preferred team, and then we can maybe talk about where we we see it actually unfolding. So I'll tee it up to you. I think the Blazers, it's basically set in stone. We're going to play either Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, or the Nuggets. Rank those teams for me, Sage, in terms of favorability. Nuggets, Jazz, Suns, Clippers. Yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> I mean, it, we we've watched this team. How many games? I haven't missed a single Blazer game this year. We've we've watched this team x amount of times. We know their strength and weaknesses. The Denver Nuggets have the least amount of players that could just demolish us. Jokic is absolutely frightening. But who's their lead guard? Yeah, you also, so on both ends of the court. So when you say players to demolish us, I think of Denver, and even if they had a healthy Jamal Murray, they do not have the the defenders. The, the either. Mikael Bridges and Chris Paul? Yeah, they don't have the defenders either in the front court or in the back court that can execute a trap to get the ball out of Dame's hand. So mm-hmm. you would look for the Blazer guards to have a field day against the series against the Nuggets. You factor in Jamal Murray being out. Offensively, the Denver guards now become just a major weakness on that roster. And it becomes, okay, can you just hold Michael Porter Jr. to an average night? Because he does have the ability to he, he to has a ceiling. Go crazy. Yeah, he has, he a, has ceiling a crazy sure. ceiling. So yeah, Denver could steal, you know, a couple of games, but you would actually feel really confident even on the road. Would you bet the, the Blazers win that? Se- would you bet your actual money that the Blazers win that series? 
Yeah, because I, I think it would be a massive failure on the organization if you cannot beat the Denver Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Yeah, like they're that, limping. They're 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 gonna guard that would plays signal in to me. That would signal to me a massive overhaul in the offseason rather than you know a, a dink or a dunk. Mm. Like if, if you are really being self-aware and you go into a series and you cannot beat the Denver Nuggets without their 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 starting point guard, their their second most uh lethal player one of the streakiest but also dominant players in the league the pick and roll with Jokic and Murray so so just nasty to defend he's Mm. not there if you can't beat them there are serious questions that are gonna have to be answered but I I do think Portland would win that series and I think that's why we have Denver at one but let's go down that list I agree that Utah is the second most desirable team they're probably going to win the west in terms of the regular season but like Denver, I don't think they have the offensive firepower. And we've seen this from the Utah Jazz to really make a long sustained run. Uh, Donovan Mitchell can get hot, but he can be a little bit inefficient and a much just a volume shooter. And, you know, if you really stay out on, you know, the Ingles and the, the Bogdanoviches of the world, I think you have a good chance of really limiting that team ceiling offensively. Mm-hmm. And just think about the guards between Utah and Phoenix. I would much rather tango with a team that hasn't really been successful than Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And I know Devin Booker hasn't been in this situation either, but he's got the best point guard of a generation next to him. So if my decision point was between Chris Paul or Mike Conley, like which vet do I think is going to lead the team to a higher heights? I got to go with the guy that <laughs> is the best of a generation in Chris Paul. So that yeah. way, just thinking it that way, I would rather face Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell than CP. Lastly on the jazz, even though Gobert is a, a I think he's a two-time defensive player. You don't want to, he doesn't want to be in the perimeter guarding. Exactly. He, he does not want to leave that paint. He wants to protect that area. If you get him in the pick and roll, he's probably going to play drop coverage. There's a reason Lillard has had major games against the Utah jazz. I mean, he's put up 59 when we had multiple players out to clinch a playoff spot a few years ago. This is a great, a great team if you for Damian Lillard to to go up against. Um, but yeah, Phoenix, I agree, is easily the second to, to least favorable. While they are inexperienced, they still have Chris Paul. And I think Devin Booker is a little bit more lethal than Donovan Mitchell, especially now that he's added that that post game uh to his his repertoire. It's gonna be tough to find a solo matchup there. And pick and rolls give us fits. Chris Paul is the maestro, the be- of the like the roll. best. So uh, I, I, I already, and I think Monty him. Williams is going to coach circles around Terry Stotts. I think Quinn Snyder would as well. I, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I think that we're always going to be at a you know a slight disadvantage there, and that's we're not. But I just to... like Monty more. <laughs> yeah, of course we we like Monty uh, a whole lot, especially from his time with with the Trailblazers. But uh, the Clippers. 
they have the size at with with George and Leonard. Uh, when Ibaka gets healthy, he can play the small ball five and really stretch the Zubac's floor. Zubac's really good at defense. Zubac does a good job on the boards. Like Cantor usually isn't able to have his way on the glass with with, with Zubac. And then they added Rajon Rondo, who while he's not starting, they're seeing a little bit more uh, results with Reggie Jackson in that starting lineup. He's just ready for the playoffs. Like he's built for the play. This is a team built for the postseason. So they, they kind of scared the living shit out of me. And I think they have the best best coaching staff in the league. So yeah, I I, th- I think the Clippers are the least desirous uh, team just because of the height, the defense. They they have three point of attack defenders, something most teams don't have. Um, and they just have coaching knowledge for days, like Luke. Ty Lue's great, and then he has a bunch of great assistant coaches that he trusts. So the Clippers absolutely are my least uh, desirable team to play against. So now that we talked about the teams that are, are preferred for, for the Blazers, let, let's shift the conversation to teams that we're most likely to face. And I think the, the least likely team, so I, what I did is I took teams with the current records I looked at the remaining schedule and just basically made a guess, gave them a final record, built in the tiebreakers. And if we're looking at the least likely, and also based upon where I think Portland's going to land. So I think the Jazz, they have a two-game lead over the Suns with four games to go. I envision Utah, even if they go two and two this week, to finish with 52 wins, that would be tops in the Western Conference. Portland would have to not only finish in seventh, but then lose a playoff playing mm. game to then be eighth. I, I think that's the, the least likely scenario for me. Mm. Um, a, a thing that I, a strategy that I have for daily fantasy, and I think that it's prevalent here is one thing that can happen. Yeah, that, that, that can happen. But if it's multiple ifs, that's probably not going to happen. So I, I agree with you. The Utah Jazz would be a very unlikely playoff matchup. The next two teams, I, I think it's I think it's equally likely that we match up with either the Denver Nuggets or the Phoenix Suns. And, and it really depends on Portland. So this is one where obviously Phoenix is going to finish second. Uh, if if Utah takes first, there, there's no way the Clippers can catch the Suns. Phoenix is is locked in there. Portland, Denver, or excuse me, Portland, Dallas, and the Lakers, they could all relatively end with, with, with the same record. Uh, the Lakers picked up a monumental victory, which really, really skewed everything that I was going to do because they ended up beating the Phoenix Suns. It dropped Phoenix lower in the standings. It boosted the Lakers up. It really puts a lot of pressure on Portland, which has a magic number of three to clinch a top six seed to stay at three. Like the Lakers just that that is a massive victory that they had today and so even if portland and dallas and la tie dallas gets that tiebreaker for being a division leader but portland gets the tiebreaker over the lakers by virtue of their win last friday so that would Mm. keep them at six um there's just so many different portland also has an incredibly tough schedule this week with with houston on the road phoenix utah and then the nuggets so there, there's just a lot of scenarios in here. So it's really like, okay, I don't think we're going to play the Jazz, but the Suns and Nuggets seem semi-likely. You look at how the Nuggets could come to fruition. One, I think Portland has to go at least three and one. 
possibly 4-0. And I think Portland gets a little lucky because while Dallas has a one-game lead, Luka Doncic basically smacked Colin Sexton in in the strawberry basket. (laughs) (laughs) Strawberry basket. (laughs) I think... (laughs) Blazer banter correctly assumed this. That's probably one game suspension, at least. <laughs> they have to go on the road to play the Memphis Grizzlies, a team that is clawing, yeah, they're fighting. so they can get in that eighth seed instead of having to win two games to the end of the postseason. Okay, so I, I do think Dallas beats the, the Pelicans and the Raptors at home, yeah. but I have a sneaky sub- suspicion that the team that nobody wants to play right now, and, and they have to play on the road in the final game of the season, at Minnesota, Chris Finch has that team locked in. They're not caring about the lottery. They are playing good basketball. They're trying to get into a rhythm, building some momentum, much needed momentum going into the next season. They're knocking off teams left and right. I do think Dallas could lose that game. That opens the door uh, for Portland. That's the only way that Portland can get there. Portland needs help to face the Denver Nuggets because Dallas is up one game. If Dallas wins out, they're locked in at, at five. And I think that's where Denver is going to stay as, as well, because, you know, they, they blew a tough game against the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, last night. And despite the Clippers loss today against the Knicks, the Clippers have a very easy schedule. Yes, they've got four road games, but it's Toronto, Charlotte, Houston, and OKC. I have the Clippers going 4-0 this week. That would give them 49 wins. Denver's got a pretty tough schedule all on the road at Charlotte at that tough Timberwolves team at Detroit and at Portland. I've got the nuggets finishing with 46 wins. So my top four in the West would be Utah, Phoenix Clippers and Denver. Again, if Portland gets a little help from, from, from uh, the Dallas Mavericks, then they could move up. But this is where it comes to, unfortunately, the most likely team in our least preferred (laughs) It's it's got to be the Clippers. There's just mm-hmm. too many scenarios where if, if Portland goes three and one this week, even if the Lakers went out, we have that tiebreaker. Even if there's a three-way tie with Dallas and the Lakers, we end in six. Like there's just too many scenarios that that I have a hard time looking past. Looking yeah. past exactly. Yeah. So I would assume it's going to be uh, the Lakers in that that seven eight with with the Warriors, uh, Portland at six. Basically, as the standings look right now, it, it's going to be wild, and obviously, that's why they play the games. You know, you can't just go out and you know play the guessing game, but it all comes true. But that that would be that would be a test. And honestly, Sage, with the season that we've had, even though it is an unfavorable matchup, it's almost just like okay, let's just get the big boss out of the way first, and if by hell or high water that you come out on the other side victorious everything's gravy after that like so what would be the so we we would play the three the three six what would be the matchup after that so going with your statistics who would would be the uh, that it would be the lakers i would think the lakers would would upset the (laughs) yeah i think they would upset the suns and yeah it's the most difficult path to the finals um, so that's where you could also see, like, we will be projecting these games, predicting, excuse me, but later on in the show, but that's why it's so tough to predict because 
would Portland dare lose the last game of the season to the Nuggets just to ensure they don't match up with the Clippers? But that has so much that your your balls are enormous. Yeah. But then, do do you want to face Steph Curry, uh, or do you want to face you know John Morant, a team that's already beat you twice on your home floor, just just for a chance to to play the the Phoenix Suns, a team that we both agreed is is not that much better of a matchup <laughs> than yeah. the Clippers. So Portland is in, and they did it to themselves. These last few weeks, they've done it to themselves to be put in this position. But it's it's really, you're going to need a little bit of help to get that, that best matchup against Denver, or you're going to have to really earn your way through that, that postseason. <laughs> yeah. So would you say it's like 60 for Clippers, 20 Denver, 20 Suns, or 19 Suns and one Jazz? Or yeah, what would okay. you do the, the odds? Oh, whew. I would say it's probably you're getting. I think there's 75% chance we're playing the Clippers. I would say there's probably 20% chance you're going to be playing the the Nuggets. That's 95. Uh, that's 15% chance. That makes it 90. 9% chance you play the the Suns. 1% chance you play the Jazz. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I'm. The Clippers one is just <laughs> that seeding's going to be fucking rough if we beat the Clippers and then have to go to LA where a, a very hyped LeBron will be. Possibly we we don't know. I mean, how he he won't be 100%. Like that's, you know, we're not, he, there's there's not going to be a magical break in the season and then everyone gets to get healthy <laughs> 3 months later yeah. in in Orlando. So I almost think it's almost like it's setting it could set up to be 2019 again. It's not the same matchup, but it's a similar situation. It's a Paul George type of team. Portland's peaking at the right time. There is a lot of beef between these two teams, just as there was with the Thunder. So if Portland in I I started actually finished a rewatch of the last dance this week. If Portland gets on their Michael Jordan shit and just starts making up stories to motivate themselves, it gets, you know, really like a little batshit crazy, like. Oh, they're they're saying shit about my mom, and now they're saying like you can't. If, if just whatever story they want to make up, just to get themselves hyped and motivated, you can beat the Clippers. The Clippers have mentally folded before. Like it's not out of the realm of possibilities, but um, it it would be a fun series to see. And again, it's it's more like okay, no one is picking you now. Now, what do you have, Blazers? Show us what you have. Show us that this core should continue to be built around. It's basically a prove it uh, mm. postseason. Yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of accepted that it's most likely going to be the Clippers. Same. Yeah, that which makes it so much easier because you're just like you're not in denial. You just, uh, you, you know, it would the... be nice, but you know, I'm expecting to go to LA for game one and two, so. And speaking of being on the road, the Blazers became the first, the the 2021 Blazers are the first team in the the team's 51 year history to have a better road record than a home record. Uh, They are now 21 and 13 on the road. They have two more games left on the road. They actually have the second best road record in the entire NBA behind the Phoenix Suns. So honestly, even though the fans are backstage, I actually legitimately want to start out on the road. I think this Blazer team just 
comes together. And that's that's pretty incredible that in 51 years, they are the first team to to accomplish that, especially considering, yes, I know they haven't been fans in the stands, but Portland's perennially been a, a difficult team to beat on their home floor. So this is just kind of a adds on. It's It's another, you know, kind of interesting factoid in an otherwise just unique season. Absolutely. So what what have the, I have yet to really look at what the fans have asked. So what what have the fans asked us? All right, we have a couple from the fans. The first one is from at JP Mac. No question, but a statement. Welcome back, Nurk. Your points and most importantly, defensive presence have been sorely missed. I'll, I'll co-sign on that. We yeah, discussed and, and that, is, that earlier is on. Playmaking and usage. And he got, there was 10% capacity, but he did get the ovation that he had been waiting over 770 days for. Uh, so that had been a, a long time coming for Nurk. And hopefully we're able to expand the amount of fans in the arena as more of us get vaccinated. And, are you, you know, going to, are you, would you be able to go to a game or are you trying to go to a game? I would not be able to buy tickets through the Trailblazers as they are only going to season ticket holders with a ton of uh, longevity in, in holding season tickets. So You've only it, been a season ticket holder for a few years, right? Half season ticket holder. So I'm not even that, or, that, you know, I'm not that baller. So it would have to be either somebody on Blazers Twitter buying tickets and, you know, I would buy my ticket and go along with them or paying a secondary market price, which... I would consider for one of the games. Um, so I moved to Portland with Olga in 2007. I have not missed a playoff game at home since we made the playoffs in 2009. So I've never missed a home playoff game. So obviously I want to be there, but I, I can't pay secondary market prices for every one of them. I, and I'm aware of that, but I, I would like to get to at least one. Um, so that would just be special. And again, I, I hope they're able to, you know, expand the capacity. It's It's been noticeably uh, audible hearing the fans in the stands. I think you're seeing a lot of the people who would normally sit in the 300 level making noise down at the 100 level. And it's it's been incredible. Like you're hearing MVP chants right from the start. Uh, Let's go Blazers, beat LA. Like it's just been noticeable. And I didn't think 10% capacity would have that effect, but it just goes to show if you get the fan there, that's like, like Dame said, we don't have cool fans. Like we have fans that care. You get the fans that want to be there for the experience and to actually be the sixth man rather than, you know, take a client to a game or just trying to there, there to be seen or, or, you know, whatever, as just a, a casual experience, you get the actual blazer maniacs there and it can make a difference. So if we even get to 20, 25% capacity, could start to sound like the real deal, which I think would give Portland a, a massive boost. Yeah, I, I got my first vaccination on the seventh, so I don't think it's in the cards for me. With uh, maybe if we go the second round, my dude. Yeah, a second round is is a possibility, but then it goes to the broke boy Sage. <laughs> I don't know, man. This this might not be the year for me because uh, the pandemic's been hard on all of us, and uh, my wallet's feeling it. You feel me? I do. Let, let's let's go back to the uh, fan questions. All right, we have one from uh, Dana Ramoni. Oh man! So it's it's broken to a few tweets. So I'm trying to condense. It's it's an either or. 
So he says, with the goal of trying to get Damian Lillard a championship, you could only choose one of the following options. Would you rather A, you keep the same team fully intact and healthy, including Zach Collins, but you could choose any available coach to replace Stotts within, within you know, realms. Like you're not getting Spolstra or you're not, not getting, getting Popovich. Pop. Okay. But you could get Charles Lee. I could get oh, that. Well, now you got me. A death. I did the, did the death cries for you. <laughs> <laughs> or you can make one block best blockbuster, quote unquote, reasonable trade for a third star. Obviously, no LeBron, no Giannis. I, I would think it's more Sabonis, Siakam area. Ugh, can I get Dio Embiid? No. Okay. But you have to keep Stotts as the coach. So he says, basically, my thought is, is it coaching your players that will get important to the next level? I thought it was a fascinating question. That's a very fascinating question. So what would the trade – what do we give up to get Pascal Siakam? Because if we trade – if we trade – Oh, okay. Because if we if we trade Ellerby for for, for uh, Pascal Siakam, might be changing my mind a little bit. I think in the second scenario, it has to be assumed that CJ McCollum is the player being moved to the star. So you, I guess your big your your starting five is Dame, Norm, X player, Rocco, Nurk. Fill in that. So with Terry not, Stotts. With Terry Stott. So my player would be Ben Simmons. I, I think he would just fit like a glove, but not With Terry in Terry Stott's. But but not in <laughs> Terry's system. Yeah, it's Terry Stott's system, my guy. That's an absolute no for me. You can't you can't play it, you can't play Ben Simmons in Terry Stott's system. No, but that that's who that's the third star that I think Portland needs. So what, what's your what's your what's your answer? It's it's a very difficult question. So I can get oh, fuck. You want Charles Lee? You can have Charles Lee. Well, um, Charles Lee's very. It, <laughs> I love Charles Lee. I'll go first. Uh-huh. I would choose option A. What coach would you take? I would. I would be fine with with Becky Hammond, uh, Ime Udoka, both under the Popovich tree, who I value so much, respect so highly the culture they've they've developed. I trust your judgment on Charles Lee under the Milwaukee system as well under Budenholzer. Uh, those three would be absolutely fantastic. I think we've we've talked about this, Sage. This roster is fucking good. It's a little imbalanced, but I have a hard time really finding a lot wrong with it. There's more right than there is wrong. And we've kind of said, if it's used a little bit better, you get a little bit, you know, strategic with how we play defense and our rotations and just the different looks we give teams. If you're able to adapt on the fly and be flexible, I think coaching goes a long way. Is it everything? Absolutely not. But when you win, it's a great mix of talent and coaching. We have a lot of talent. I'm not saying a coach is going to bring us to a championship, but I think a better coach with this roster gets us closer than mm-hmm. trading CJ for an, a better player, but also keeping Terry Stotts. And I'm not trying to be anti-Stotts. I just think he has a ceiling as an NBA coach 
and we've seen what he can do for, for nine seasons. I think a, a different coaching hire could also kind of reinvigorate the, the team as well. Um, when we're clicking, which I know we can, and when we play the right way, which I know we can, there's very few teams that, that I think have higher ceilings than us. And sometimes it, those teams don't hit that ceiling either. So you may sneak in and get a, get a championship. So uh, I choose option A. So if like I could get a Joel Embiid and you could promise me no injuries, you cannot. Would... <laughs> you cannot. Joel Embiid is, is too good. This All is right. a third star type of player. You cannot get anybody. I, on I, I, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't be jazzed up to get Domanus with the Terry Stott scheme. I wouldn't Pascal. I would have to take Charles Lee in the first option. Um, I, I I think that Lee or one of those younger play uh younger coaches that can be creative and can try new things and connect with players is more important to me than Demona Sabonis, who is a sieve defensively, or Pascal Siakam, who hasn't been Pascal Siakam in the last two years. So I would go with Charles Lee and option A. Last question from Georgie uh, Stoymanov. says, hey, guys, is it just me or is it hard not to get excited about Amperny's raw talent? He's super athletic, an elite tier shooter, and is now showing a bit more effort on defense. Which coach would be the most suited to take him to the next level? Uh, can I go first? Can we have Monty Williams? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm going with the apple of my eye and Charles Lee. Charles Lee was instrumental in developing Dennis Schroeder. And then um, I think a guy like Charles Lee would be one of the best people to develop. Ant, Ant. Uh, uh, Monty Williams is someone that I would respect just as much. But if I was going with someone, I would want someone young that connect with him. And I would want a guy that has had a long track record of player development uh, in Charles Lee taking o- uh, over as the, the the coach for Portland Trailblazers. If I was thinking about Ant's, uh, Ant's improvement. So yeah, Charles Lee for me. I think that's a great answer. I will also follow back on both Spurs candidates. Uh, Ime Udoka and Becky Hammond. I don't think Ime is still with the Spurs, but he has been under their, their tutelage. Um, you look at their guards, and especially their guards, and, and they have really developed them. Derek White was a late first-round draft pick. He is now a bona fide starter in this league. He, uh, Ime is on the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, so I knew he had moved on, uh, but he had coached under Popovich. You also look at uh, DeJounte Murray. He had an injury that set him back, but he's one mm-hmm. of the, the best up-and-coming guards, especially on the defensive end. Uh, Keldon Johnson, again, a player taken late in the first round last year. Uh, Lonnie Walker. I mean, they just do a really good job of teaching players how to play the right way. Like, there's a reason it's called, like, the Spurs way. They, they, they don't get blown out. They always try hard. They, they play the game the right way. And really, I think you just need a coach that is going to find a way to let Ant grow in his own way. And what I mean by that is let's not force him to be a backup point guard. He doesn't have to be a point guard. He's a scorer. Okay. Let's find a coach that can help him work on some dribble moves. Uh, find a trainer that can get him uh, 
just get his body right. He clearly needs, you know, five to 10 more pounds of muscle so he can be a Norman Powell and finish in the lane. And then Use let's, that God given athleticism. Find somebody that can tap into his confidence and say, Anthony, I want you to go to the basket with just unnatural aggression every single time. Go in there with a purpose. Like, like somebody stole something from you and you just want revenge and just blam on them. So I think there's just a combination to, to get Ant to break out of his shell. It's, it's hitting the weight room. It's finding his inner confidence. And it's also learning, okay, how do I become the best shooting guard possible rather than point guard? Like, I think that, I think pigeonholing him into a backup point guard and that being the dominating narrative around him kind of set him back the, the past it's couple like, of years. It's like we treated him like a Kentucky guard. Um, But yeah, I, I, for me, if we're talking about future head coaches, it would go Charles Lee won by a, a lot. And then Adrian uh, Griffin of Toronto. I was about to call him Adrian Young, but I knew that was a, a hip hop producer. I would go uh, Lee Griffin, Ime, Jawan Howard. Those would be my big, my big guys. Cause the, the, the coaching play, uh, the coaches that was leaked the other day, just, they don't make sense in a lot of ways. Like they're all old retreads. Why are we trying to. There was find... nothing splashy about those hires. So that's one thing that I found comical was, Oh, the Blazers are going to do the same thing. The Seahawks did when they made their coaching change. And they, they got Pete Carroll, the big, the big money hire from USC. There is nothing splashy about Jason Kidd, Nate McMillan. Um, Dave Yeager or Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups would intrigue me because he's been in line for yeah. a GM position before. Yeager's been a retread. Uh, Nate McMillan, I love him, but been there, done that. And Jason Kidd, there is no fucking way that I'm supporting a dude like that. A, a, a dude like that. Like he is, he's he's been arrested for domestic violence and has. I never bet that really... whoever wrote that put Jason Kidd because they're cool with him. And the Oakland connection with Dame. Yeah. And again, it's one thing if you're accused of something and you've kind of paid your debt to society and clearly 20 years have passed, but Sage, he had never, he continued to play in the NBA and was a sought after player, won a championship with the Mavericks and then went right into coaching. There was, there was no hurdles that he had to overcome personally to repay his debt to society for that. And that doesn't sit well with me. Um, I don't think it would set well with the Portland community as well. So that that's, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that list was floated out there probably by Neil through Jason Quick just to kind of get a gauge. And everyone was like, hell no. <laughs> so I, I think they would hopefully do a much better uh, detective and, and diligence in bringing in the next coach. I will do a Charles Lee bio on our Patreon when I get home from Medford in the next few days, because I am that dedicated to Charles Lee to PDX. First of all, congratulations on your regular season victory in the prediction game. So I'm giving you, you know, a round of applause. Uh, there's no way I can catch up with you. So we are just now making. What was picks. my record? You're at forty-one twenty-seven. God damn. Yeah. Um, so we are just making the picks from the gut. There, there's no alt. You know ulterior motives here trying to win any prediction games we are just trying to get the best 
outcome possible. And it starts tomorrow night against the Houston Rockets. Portland wraps up their three-game homestand. Uh, then they go on the road. They've got Wednesday, Thursday at Utah, at Phoenix. Going to be tough to decide whether either team is going to be resting or playing for anything. And then finally, they play Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. That time is TBD. Uh, Shams Sharnia tweeted out before we came on air to podcast that all of the NBA's games that day will be played between 9 a.m. and and 12:30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So they are they they don't want don't teams play to, daily fantasy that day, people. They do not want teams to know the outcome. Uh, so whether they can rest or not, so it's going to be mayhem that day. So clear your schedule, get some brunch. And let's watch a shit ton of basketball. First, for anything to matter, Portland has to take care of the the Houston Rockets. And this is really a game where you can't look back at the first two matchups and really draw any conclusions. We Mm. we won a a hotly contested game. The second game of the year, that's when James Harden was making his debut. We also lost in early January on the road in Houston, back when they had DeMarcus Cousins and Victor Oladipo. John Wall playing. Yeah, this Rocket team is is completely different now. And really, the only thing they're playing for is losses because they want to secure one of those top four uh, lottery spots. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe each of the top four gets uh, the same percentage to, to move up. And, you know, right now they're 16 and 52, one and nine in their last 10. They have currently lost five straight games. And Sage, just a measly eight and 25 away from... Houston. So we're going to play a game here. So I'm going to say the players that are on the injury report and then players off the injury report. I'm going to ask you their names and you have to tell me honestly if you've heard of them. Okay. So let me take a really deep breath to talk about all of the injury reports. All right. Avery Bradley is day to day. Um, Sterling Brown out with a knee. Dante Exum out with a calf. Eric Gordon out with a groin. David Nwaba out with a wrist. Kelly Olenek questionable with an ankle. Kevin Porter Jr. questionable with an ankle. John Wall out for tanking purposes. DJ Wilson, COVID restriction protocols. Christian Wood, ankle. Is Christian Wood out? Questionable, currently. So, last game they played, their starting lineup was Deshaun Tate. Heard of him. Daquan Jeffries. Uh, maybe. DJ Augustine, you've obviously heard of. Yes. And Anthony Lamb. No, that's a 2K player. He's made up. I had him in like 40% of uh, my FanDuel roster. Kenyon Martin Jr. Yep. Armani Brooks. Nope, that's another made up player. Daniel House Jr. Yes. You, you better know this one. Kyrie Thomas. Yeah, he was our draft boo. <laughs> yeah. So you've watched quite a bit of NBA and you have struggled to name players on their starting five. They're they dealing two, with they so have, many injuries. They have two creative players on their team. Like you can't lose to that team. <laughs> I, like, like if you were if you weren't so obsessed with Kyrie Thomas as a draft pick, you wouldn't know who he was either. No, this team's so bad. He didn't even play with Detroit, the team that drafted him. He he was cut and then and re-signed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a game where I am thankful fans will be in attendance because they need something because, to promote uh, to 
hype them up. Yeah, tickets are scarce, and people coming to the games are probably the first time they've been to a game in well over a year. They're going to be hyped. I think the players know what's at stake, but just to have that, not to play in just a dead arena, an empty, quiet gym, will be so wonderful for the Blazers just to have that extra boost. Um, I think it's going to be a game kind of like Cleveland where Portland jumps out and is maybe ahead 8 to 12 points. Then I think they just put it on him in the second half um, and, and put him away. Dame, Dame and, and company get some rest in the fourth quarter so they can really go all out in these next two back-to-back games. Um, who do you have winning this one, Sage? It's got to be the Blazers. Um, I think one of the three between Kevin Porter Jr., Kelly Olenek, and uh, Christian Wood will play. I don't know who, but it shouldn't matter. The Blazers need to handle biz and beat them early so they don't have the uh, desire to play hard for the rest of the 48. Just crush their confidence as soon as possible. Up next will be the Utah Jazz, a team that is leading the West. They are 50 and 18. They've won five straight, just incredibly dominant at home, 31 and four. They will still be without Donovan Mitchell probably through the end of the regular season. They do not have the tiebreaker over the Phoenix Suns. So while they are two games up in the loss column, their magic number to clinch home court throughout the Western Conference is still at three. I do envision Utah, a team that has, who do they have left on their schedule? They, they play the Warriors before us. Then they get Portland. Then they have two winnable games against OKC and Sacramento. If This is why it's a little bit difficult to preview on a Sunday night because if they go into Golden State and win, I think... They don't really have the desire to play their guys major minutes. I think there is a huge chance that they rest their players against Portland because they're going to go into OKC and they're going to go into Sacramento and they're going to win. That, That locks it up for them. But if they lose against Golden State, now the... There's There's pressure. pressure. Mm -hmm. So that's incredibly difficult for me to gauge. I do think they lose to Golden State, but I think that benefits Portland because then you get a more, you get a better challenge, a playoff preview type of challenge. And I think Portland needs as many of those as they can get. And so without Donovan Mitchell, um, it's kind of just by committee on offense, whether it's Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench um, they've got Joe Ingles, they've got Mike Conley, and then Bogdanovich had damn near 50 points. Conley's day to day with an ang- a hamstring, which at his age, they, they may look t- to rest. I, I think Portland wins this game. I, I think Damian Lillard is, is the X factor because he plays so well in that gym. Mm-hmm. And Without Donovan Mitchell, we should have an easier time clamping up this team. We need to come out with a defensive purpose and in a mindset because with four games left in the season, assuming you get the Houston game, Portland needs to win at least two more to keep the Lakers at bay. Like I know they don't want to play in that play-in. You also want to give your, your your team as many opportunities as possible to have different scenarios where, oh, we can rest people against Denver or, you know, it's it's not super important that we beat, beat the Phoenix Suns. Like, you don't want to have to be in fight or flight mode like we were in the bubble uh, because that, that kind of wears you down. So I look mm-hmm. for Portland to treat this like a playoff matchup. I, I think they just outlast them in terms of scoring. I think it's going to be a little bit low, lower scoring. Utah does play good defense, but... This honestly is one of those games where I think it comes down to 
Portland's rotations on the perimeter and are they making their open shots? Mm -hmm. I know that's a cop out to say, but I do think they're going to get their looks. Uh, Are they going to go in? Like we're damn near unstoppable when, when Dame Norman, CJ are rolling, like it would be great to see that happen against the, the Western conference likely number one seed. Yeah. I mean, I think it all depends on that Warriors game. Cause if, if, if they win that, there, there really isn't any pressure and you could honestly see Donovan, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert all out. And then they, they just roll with that second unit against us. So it, it depends on that, but I'm going to go Blazers victory because we need this win way more than they do. So if we have that type of aggression and that mentality of we need this, I, I think I think th- that will sway it in our direction because th- Jazz can afford to be comfortable. They can afford to h- think about rest. We can't right this second. The one thing that gives me pause is I don't think that. So right now, the the Suns and the Jazz probably are terrified, and I don't think you would ever see a one or a two seed terrified, but the Lakers are an abnormality this year. Mm. in the fact that they're not like any seven or eight seed in NBA history, like they, they legitimately would still be favored to win the title, regardless of where they're seated. It looks like the bulls when they got Jordan back. That's not a fifth seed. Think of the hard work they put in to get themselves in this position only to see them possibly face the Lakers in the first round. So Utah definitely wants to stay at one. So I do think they'll try, but you know, Donovan is not going to play. He he'll be reevaluated next Friday. Um, Conley did not play yesterday. Again, that was the eighth. We played them on um, the 12th. So who knows, but hamstrings at his I, age. I yeah. I don't think they would risk that. So this game is just one that Portland has to have. And it moves on to, I think the most important game of, the season is at Phoenix to take on the Suns. And I think this game will determine whether we're talking about playing the Denver Nuggets or the Los Angeles Clippers. And I do think that we'll get some, some help. I I think the Mavericks will slip up at least once in the remaining four. And this Phoenix game will determine whether Portland's able to take advantage of, of that opening or not. Uh, the Suns are struggling a little bit lately. They are just six and four in their last 10. Um, they're two games back of the Utah Jazz. They, they blew a golden opportunity tonight to really put the Lakers in, in the grave. And they got just completely outclassed, losing by 13 points, giving up 123 points to the Lakers without Kuzma, without Schroeder, and without LeBron James. Uh, that's a team Portland held to 101 points. So, it's going to be tough. It's the second night of a back-to-back. Phoenix has had their way with us this year, but we have not played the Suns at full strength either. Mm. So it's, it's going to be another playoff type of preview. And my biggest thing with Portland is how are we going to defend Devin Booker? Who are we going to put on him so that he's not able to just post up and turn around and shoot. I think Norman Powell gets that assignment because he's got a little bit more strength than Dame or CJ, but that's going to be the the big key for me is because he set that tone in both games against the Blazers this year by just going to the post and getting easy looks. And we had no answer for him. I think the, uh, the X factor is pick and roll defense against Chris Paul. 
I mean, yeah, those are the poison. Yeah, you got to. Um, Chris went against us when we had NS Cannon running center. So it's a whole nother animal having use of against them. <clears throat> what what teams have Phoenix faced before us? So the Suns, just looking at last Friday, they, they beat the Knicks by 23. Just today, Sunday, they lose by 13 to the Lakers. They play the Warriors Tuesday in the Bay Area, and then they get us Thursday. And who's at home? And then they'll they'll play that jumbled uh, last game of the year. They play Saturday, Sunday at in San Antonio. Oh, okay. And they'll most likely be hard stuck at two. Again, it depends if you they can they can catch the Jazz. So if the Jazz lose to the Warriors and the Blazers, they'll be tied. But then they have to win out. So Phoenix basically has to win out. So I, I do think they're going to try to win. I don't think Portland's going to get any any favors. I, I think the only favor they'll get is Denver. Denver's going to probably be locked into four by the time we play them. But it will really determine where Portland's at at the time, whether we want to win that game or not. I mean, if they're hard stuck at two, would you play Chris Paul these last few games? I don't think. So we don't know though that they'd yeah. be hard stuck at two because Utah. I mean, we're, we have to, to do play. a lot of projecting here on a Sunday. Yes. But really, when, by the time we play, if Utah has lost two games, like I am projecting, they'll be tied. So technically, they'll be in the one seed. They they will want to win this. They game, will. So de- I mean, then Chris Paul plays full rotation. I do think they play full rotation minutes. It's still a chance that they get that one seed. I mean, if there's a chance, then Chris Paul's playing as many minutes as possible. Which but if why. they were hard stuck at two, dude's an old man. Why would you want to? Why would you want to play him in a meaningless game? That seems that seems a little foolish. Like, dude's in his fifteenth year as an NBA point guard, played a lot of playoff minutes. You might not want to risk it. But if we're projecting that there there is even a chance at them getting that seed they're they're going to put their whole uh their whole team forward um but i i think that the 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 two things that the blazers need to adjust for for them to win is pick and roll defense with chris and deandre and devin booker's uh one-on-one matchup i think something to watch out for is the ayton nurkic matchup when we played them previously with Ennis Cantor, Aiden was just too athletic. And yeah, so he was too, yeah. Chris Paul was hitting him on that role, just throwing it over the top where only DeAndre could get that. We've seen Nurkic and Covington really reach up and stop a lot of lobs, mm-hmm. just getting their active hands. So Building a, the wall. A, yes, a, a key for, for me will be, can Yusuf stay out of foul trouble and can he impact the game defensively like, like we know he can? If if we even put up some form of resistance on on that CP DeAndre, you know, pick and roll, and, and really take some of their options away, that opens the, the the game completely up. And again, this is a team we could see in the postseason. And Phoenix has had had their way with us. Yeah, so. we haven't we haven't really had a complete game against them. So I think it's really important that we win this game. Um, you have us winning, Sage. This one, this one's tough. This one's very, very tough. It all depends on what happens in the games before, but if we're going to project it like it is, 
I, I think the Phoenix Suns got us. I mean, we haven't shown that we can beat them yet. Yes, we haven't had the use of Nurkic, but the Suns kind of have something over me where we haven't really done as well as we should. So I'm going to roll with the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to go win, and I'm going to go uh, Dame time. I think he's making his case to be a first-team All-NBA guard, and the way he's playing, 50-50-90, over 30 points, eight assists on just incredible shooting splits. He is a player that can get to a level that very few can, and I would say even on, on the Phoenix Suns. He sets that tone in – I just think of the momentum you would get from winning a back-to-back mm-hmm. in of, of that nature. Like, I don't think anybody could poo-poo on that or, or take anything away from the team fr- from, from doing that. Yeah. Alongside Dame, I, I've mentioned Nurkic. I, I think a player that we haven't talked about, Carmelo Anthony. Um, he's a guy who we can run some offense through against the Suns. He's also a player who can slow down the game a bit, can get to the line. They've got a couple inexperienced defenders on that second unit. The second unit is where we're really going to need to make a living. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about a back-to-back, probably not going to be Derek Jones, but we are going to see some Nasir Little, probably some Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, along with the traditional Ennis, Mello, and, and Ant. So whose bench is going to outperform one, one, one another? So I, Maybe it's just uh, an optimistic outlook, but I think Portland is – they're circling Denver. They, they want the Nuggets, and the only way to do that is to go undefeated this week. And so, you know, Phoenix is – they're reeling. They're not invincible. Um, I think Portland guts out a victory there, and then you get two days off to face the Denver Nuggets, who are – they're going to be locked in into, into, into fourth. Uh, let's, let's make no mistake about that there. I would be very certain that that's how it happens. I know there's only a game difference right now, but I kind of, you know, broke down the schedule. If you look at it, the Clippers, both teams, what's interesting, are done playing home games. They all finish the year on the road. The Clippers have Toronto, Charlotte, Houston, and OKC. I would be very confident that they go 4-0 in those games. Denver, Charlotte, Minnesota, Detroit, and Portland. Uh, that's going to be very hard for them to go undefeated and also get some help from the Clippers. By this time, I would assume that Denver is going to rest Jokic. He has played the most minutes, I believe, of anybody in the league. He's touched the ball more than anybody else in the league, too. He is number one in touches per game, and then DeMontis bonus is two. If if Jokic is out, then then Will Barton's obviously out as well because he's dealing with a hamstring. P.J. Dozier is day-to-day with the ab injury. Aaron Gordon has a calf. Monte Morris and Zeke Don Like, they could be running a very... Mash unit. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, could, it could just be Michael Porter Jr. and then a bunch of Denver scrubs. So, with that projection, I do project that we will be in that scenario. Um I think Portland goes 4-0. I, I think that they, they get it done. And whether we face Denver 
or not in the first round is going to be dependent on whether Dallas can, can slip up. If not, you're 4-0 going hot into a postseason against a, a tough opponent, but that's kind of the, the best way you can go into a postseason is red hot and rolling. And confident as hell. Yeah, I think the Blazers win. Um, there would be no reason to play Jokic in this 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 game. It's kind of it's gonna be a shitty day for a lot of these teams that are stuck in their position. They're not gonna play their starters. There's no reason to. And even if Portland needed this win and Denver was playing Jokic, I, I would still pick Portland to win this game. Uh we were we were so close to beating them last time. Uh, and that was when we were kind of playing selfish basketball i think we've kind of turned a new leaf there i i just think we we would get it done um nurk on Jokic is a really fun matchup stay out of foul trouble there but again i think they're going to be locked into four you mean nurk on javel mcgee <sighs> gave me flashbacks of the warrior so i did not need to have that so i i i think we've wrapped it up um we are available on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3. Check out our Patreon. I'm going to write or record my video on the great Charles Lee. So uh, I, I don't think that he's gotten the props that he deserves. So uh, check out, be on the lookout for that in the next week. Um, if you listen this far, you're a real one. And I'm going upstairs and eat some uh, Mother's Day. Uh, goodies. So I will talk to y'all later. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's